Adrian, thanks so much for joining me on the call today. Great to meet you, Lee. So you've created traditional hedge mazes, wooden fence mazes, the first cornfield maze maze, and so much more. Why all the variety? Are clients asking for different materials or you simply like to challenge yourself? What's going on there? My first maze was in my father's garden in southern England. And then from that, I began to think, well, you know, there must be a bit more to this. Where are the others? And I met one or two of the people who'd created another maze or a maze. And I began to think, well, it's really quite fascinating. There's this idea of a journey, the idea of a, a path of life. There's sometimes a Christian or spiritual dimension to it. There's um, the whole humor of mathematics, the idea of getting lost. And, so, and you know, the, the mythology of you know, the little child of age three wanting something they can't have, which really comes straight out of the um, Garden of Eden. You know, whatever you are told you can't have is the one thing you've got to have, you know, whether it's an apple or whatever. And anyway, this whole the whole bundle of things began to think, I built another one and another, and I got one or two wonderful commissions and things like that. And I began to realise I could make a livelihood out of this, and it was sure better than working in a big factory all my life. But how you go about creating something original, it's the question, is it, you know, well, one thing is, is, is a maze an art form or is it just a, you know, a frivolous puzzle to find in a, in a book or a newspaper? Um, I like to think it's an, a work, an art form. Um, I'm creating works of art. My art, art form is parallel rows of things. But how do I make that into something exciting? Well, firstly, that's the plan from the sky. But the actual experience on the ground, you're in one groove, one path with one barrier each side. So the big picture and the small picture have got very little that you can relate to. But as the maze designer, how do I arrange things so that it's a fulfilling experience moment by moment on the ground, not as part of a gigantic picture of something from the sky, but on the ground? If you like, it's, it's like playing chess with me, except I'm the... I have to play all my moves in advance as the chess player, as the designer, and then I must lose. And I must lose just before you've had enough, because I'm here to entertain you. When you're working on something new, are you working mostly from historical models, or are the ideas just jumping into your mind? It's very like trying to um, paint a portrait. Uh, if you, the first thing the artist has to do is to get to know the subject enough, and they can establish a rapport. They can relax. And you need the sparring partner of the client, someone who puts some constraint, whether there's a finite amount of money, a finite amount of land, a particular finite amount of time to accomplish it and have it ready to open, um, a particular set of expectations, which aren't really what the artist expected, but I'm afraid it's, I'm paying it, I want this maze to do this for me and whatever. Which, although it sounds like a constraint, is actually heaven sent because it means you've got some really hard walls to push against and then you use your ingenuity. By the time you put all those variables together, it's very unlikely to have the same combination the whole time. You know, if it's on a farm, you may want to do it out of a crop because it involves very little capital outlay. If, on the other hand, you're running a fine garden or so on, maybe a formal hedge maze would be more appropriate. If you're in a public open space like an English village green, you want might want a maze which is completely flat in the landscape, as we've done on one or two occasions alongside the River Thames, uh, where the maze is totally flat, but you walk on it and you don't spoil it for yourself because you don't cheat, you keep to the paths. So the medium might be dictated by the scale, by the budget, by the character of the ambience. Are you seeing these in their totality in your mind before you commit? 
or are you kind of walking the maze yourself as you create it? Um, I have a kind of strategic idea. You know, um, for instance, you have to enter at the set, at the entrance. So the first entrance and perhaps a forced passage for fifty meters or fifty yards would be. I can completely control. Everyone will see that bit once. Also know that towards the finish, you will have the final run-up, and that also will be the one and the only. You only do it once, but you have to do it. But in between, you may go through braided channels, rather like the delta of a river, and you might go one route and miss one of my lovely features, which I was hoping you'd enjoy, and you come across another one two or three times because you go around the block. So um, you don't know. So it's a mixture of how many I'm going to ensure you see once and how much I don't really care if you miss this one because you can tell your friends or your friends say, oh, wasn't that a fantastic water feature? I didn't see that. Oh, next time we come, you must find it. It was terribly good, you know. And you feel by having not seen everything, you've actually got a, a richer encounter than if you saw everything once. And there are some theme parks where we have spent at least $200,000 on this feature. You've got to look at it and admire it. And even better, here's a little thing which reminds you to take, get your camera and take a photograph of it. Just in case you forgot, we spent $200,000 on this, which is wonderful, but um, hard work. So we want that sort of lighter touch, that kind of find it if you can. And if you do, it's you, yours to find. And therefore, you really want to create situations where people contribute to their own success. It's starting to sound to me a little bit like building a novel. The shorter ones are a short story and the longer ones are a novel. There's a narrative that you're the captain of and you're creating an experience that you see that structure in advance and it's our pleasure, really, to recreate that, sometimes making mistakes, sometimes not really getting to the end. Does that sound close? That sounds like I'm being incredibly grand architect and <laughs> terribly precise in my activities. Um, it never feels quite like that. It seems to be chaotic, but it's, it's not chaotic. It's it's flexible uh, because it's responsive. I'll have some fantastic idea, but I don't actually let it crystallize and harden too much because what I want to do is run it past the team or I want to run it past the client or both or somebody, an intermediary with us, working with us or whatever. So what do you think of this? everything is to some extent more or less fluid and as a result the whole thing evolves until you can't quite put your finger on well it's a it's a wonderful team effort in the end it's like a christmas pudding everybody's had a stir with a big wooden spoon mm. before it's in the oven and gets baked so nobody but everybody stirred the pudding uh, do you work in sketchbooks computers by hand what's it like if we were looking over your shoulder and you were working today what would we be seeing my senior designer, Raul, is actually uh, in Spain. He lives on the island of Menorca. So we had a Skype call. We've had two Skype calls this morning talking about a particular project. And I typically sketch this out. And, and th these were very rough sketches. And it's far better that, you know, it's just vigorously drawn by in pencil. I, 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 I much prefer that. I mean, I know there are machines which you can take a tablet and turning on how hard you press, it will make it thicker or thinner. And, and you know, it's all very clever. But one thing about pencils and paper is you can... You can do it anywhere. You can you can do it in somebody else's dining room in a palace or something, or you can, um, you know, sketch it on the side of a field, leaning on the 
front of a car, you know, just to get the idea down or something, you know, and, and say, what about that? Does that feel, you know, and, and it's quite good. And it's got an immediacy and it doesn't look, this is the finished thing, you know, it definitely looks like a rough pencil sketch, but that's fine. People talk about mazes as a meditation. People talk about them as just pleasant puzzles, just fun puzzles. And then there's this whole allegorical level. What do you think people are getting out of your work? Why do they ask you to do this, do you think? I like to put people into the idea that I make them the heroes of their own adventure. And then this isn't just a journey. This is a quest. This is a, an exploration. This is, you know, hunting down something, you know, your, you know the, the forces of good, you know, penetrating the evil or darkness or all the levels of Ill, you know, ignorance and find the ultimate truth or whatever it happens to be. Now, how can you make a maze a compelling experience? Well, the obvious thing in my view was to make it into a team experience. So we do it as a shared experience. We go into the maze with our bodies together. We leave behind all our unnecessary bits and pieces and bits of equipment and video cameras and drones and anything else, you know, whatever. And we just go in with each other. If you had to look back on one maze that you're particularly proud of, which one would it be? There have been quite a few lovely ones. Um, well, one of the most exciting ones was when we were involved in the International Garden Festival in Liverpool, and um, Liverpool, the city of the Beatles. And of all things, we suggested both a maze and Beatles. So we had a Beatles maze. <laughs> so we made a psychedelic garden in the shape of a giant apple, which the apple in those days was to do with the Beatles record label, nothing else. And uh, then we built a yellow submarine, which was 52 feet long and weighed 18 tons. And there was a great, huge, great yellow submarine. You went in the back, you went up spiral staircases around the 22-foot conning tower, down the other side and out. So, you know, it was a very exciting finale to this maze. And we had the Queen actually came and opened the whole festival. And uh, we all lined up to meet her. And would you believe it? She said, uh, so would you like to meet the designers? Well, for goodness sake, I want to see what this is all about first. And I want to meet who did it. So she sort of, the whole tour of this maze was completely thwarted by the Queen, quite rightly, you know. <laughs> the, some of them have been quite bonkers. I mean, this week, for example, we've just opened the two mazes in the Jewel at uh, Changi Airport in Singapore. On the top deck, there's a kind of um, a canopy park. And in that, uh, there's a mirror maze and also a hedge maze. And the hedge maze has gates that twist and turn and... Um, towers and you know go up a staircase and down again and the mirror maze has lots of reflections and this is in the middle of an airport between terminals one two and three and already there's cartoons in the singapore press saying it's all right i'm sorry i was late for the the, the boarding gate but i got lost in the maze <laughs> well i've i've gotten my own i've gotten an anxiety attack in a uh, rather large corn maze i don't remember where it was uh, sometimes around Halloween here for that holiday, you know, the farms that have the pumpkins, they build their own little maze. And uh, so I've had my moments in mazes. I've, I've loved labyrinths and I've loved the, you know, hedge mazes and things like that. But when I'm completely, um, you know, I can't see where I am, I, ha I have had some moments. You, you could indeed feel concerned that you were temporarily lost. Right. But this is quite a different kind of genteel lost compared with you know halfway up um a mountain in the, in the alps in a blizzard and the snow you know the visibility has dropped to 10 feet and you don't even know what's up or down let alone you're 
5,000 feet above sea level and the two hours till sunset. That is seriously lost with a vengeance and a penalty. So I, I think your concern is probably of a, that of a modern person who wants, you know, as an adult in the 21st century, wants to be in complete control the whole time, everything that's going on. Why am I waiting for two sets of lights for these traffic lights? Why can't I have a route that will get me straight to where I'm trying to go? I've got a life to lead. I'm a busy person. I never stop. I've got to keep going, got to keep going. Goodness me, what's getting in my way? And I'm afraid a lot of people have to leave their lives like that an awful lot of time. Yeah, you're right. We expect so much of a straight line between two points now in, in all respects. We're very intolerant of things that don't work like computers. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining me on this call. It's really been fascinating. Thank you. That's it for the call this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Lee Schneider. 